0: You're listening to Leading the Way, a podcast series from global advisory firm Stoneturn, where our experts speak with accomplished and approachable business leaders who share their real-world insights on a range of
1: topics, from risk and compliance to investigations, business disputes, and more. Hello, and welcome to Stone Turn Podcasts, Leading the Way. This podcast is going to explore the full potential of ESG as a way of doing sustainable and responsible business. Environmental, social and governance issues are not going away. And in a first podcast on this topic, we shone a light on the human element of ESG, social inclusion, diversity, talent and equality. In this discussion with Anita Woodhouse, we're going to be examining the flurry of challenges and criticism aimed at the factors over recent months as a way to assess potential investments. We've seen challenges around the lack of standardised regulation, the consistency of ESG ratings, and we've seen question marks about whether you can make profits with purpose. And so in this podcast with Anita, we're going to explore whether this backlash is justified. So without further ado, please let me introduce Anita to this second podcast on ESG. Welcome, Anita. Thank you, Tracy. Anita is the Chief Compliance Officer of V-Square Quantitative Management, LLC, which is an ESG-focused asset manager. Anita maintains the firm's compliance programme. She designs, implements and monitors processes in line with the SEC and other regulatory standards. Anita has a fascinating background, she has significant financial services experiences and she started her career in London before relocating to Chicago in the US. In her previous role at Northern Trust Asset Management, Anita was focused on building global investment compliance programmes across four advisor entities totaling $1.3 billion assets under management. She's also led a global team in the advising compliance and digital investment space, and was responsible for the annual compliance report, along with other regulatory obligations under the SEC. So I know we're going to have a fascinating discussion during this podcast. So, Anita, let me start off then by providing the context for our discussion. ESG appears to be on an evolutionary path and attracting a much more mixed reaction on the real and genuine impact of sustainable investing, compared to when we last spoke on the first topic earlier this year. So what are your views on the current position of ESG and how is it maturing from your perspective?
0: So looking back at the last few months since we spoke, I'd say that there have been various social justice issues and climate related issues. And the world has kept on evolving. You're right. ESG remains a focus and front of mind for investors and regulators alike. Personally, I do like to lean more into the meaningful indications of ESG practices and their statements. Without, or with rather, so much data, it seems impossible not to feel overwhelmed by the amount of information available or even understanding how to make that data tell a story. And when it does tell a story, is that the right story? Is that really what we should be focusing on? I appreciate that I'm probably a little more entrenched in this than many given that I work for an ESG focused asset manager and the number of ESG related emails I receive daily just continues to grow. There's a wealth of information out there and so many different views with often a healthy or maybe unhealthy dose of skepticism.
1: You're so right, Anita. I love your expression, meaningful indication of ESG practice and statements. It does make me think about, have we lost sight of what it actually is there to do and to convey? And there have been some really healthy and adversely unhealthy doses of scepticism about it. I agree. If you look at some of the recent cases that we've seen, the, the UK regulator, for example, has recently banned Two HSBC advertisements were being misleading about the company's work to tackle change. There has been uh, a German police investigation into a greenwashing allegation um, as one of the Deutsche Bank offices recently and DWS. So, you know, question back to you, Anita, what, what's going to be next when it comes to ESG? How is it going to be framed as it continues to evolve and mature?
0: Tracy, that is such a tough question. As investors, indeed, as humans in general, I believe that we have a duty of care to the world and the societies that we are a part of. Some may not be doing those right things, but hiding behind ESG in order to do the wrong things is not true ESG. Now, this could be my compliance brain talking, but I think protecting investors from greenwashing and wishing is hugely important. It will also introduce the right checks and balances to protect investors and hopefully alleviate those fears from those with a larger platform. Regulators and the coming regulation means that fiery statements will be less impactful because there'll be solid reporting and true true fiduciary obligations. More transparency, be it through disclosure or clearer definitions, should and could only be a good thing and when we look at the world as a whole in the direction that we're heading in in terms of being clear fair and not misleading all advertising that should be the minimum global standard
1: you refer anita in your your response there to your compliance brain which which many of us can relate to given what we do um, in our work, but at the same time, I remember when we last spoke, you <laughs> talked with the very human brain as well. Dare I say, it, in terms of bringing in the the very um, human impact and societal impact of what ESG can can offer, if it is. Translated and interpreted in the right way, and I'm curious to to understand Anita from your perspective. Now, now we're seeing ESG being seen in a in a less favourable light. Do you think it needs to be reframed? Is there an opportunity here to really get a greater understanding of what is material and equal in order to bring about a a greater meaningful sustainability or values lens to the purpose of business? I mean. If I just answered yes, this would be a pretty short podcast episode,
0: um, but I do think it's important to start there. Um, right now, it's being seen in a less favourable light, and from the conversations that I've had, that definitely does seem to be just through that lack of transparency and a lack of understanding. And so... To me, it is really important to start there. Not all data should be treated as material or even equally, depending on the nature of the focus of the ESG. So put simply, it's important to define almost that flavor of ESG that a particular investment company or strategy is following. When businesses are looking at their ESG-focused strategies, it's important to consider the element of ESG that they are focused on. So taking a step back, ESG is an umbrella term that is unlikely that there is a specific goal or strategy that will meet each of the environmental, social or government requirements in the same way, at the same time, or even to the same degree. So understanding what would be material, depending on which element of the E, S or the G, would be vitally important for those next wave of ESG products and strategies to move forward. And so if the goal is climate related, falling into that environmental strategy, perhaps diversity under the social banner is not as important to that specific strategy. And so it's important to remember, though, that that doesn't mean that social is not important to the firm, but just that that particular strategy is not focused on the social. And so as we look at the light currently on ESG and maybe how that can progress into the future, if businesses want to participate and commit to playing a positive role in a tangible way for the future that a whole society can benefit from, then they need to be mindful of how and what they do in focusing on ESG.
1: Anita, I love the way you frame this um, through the materiality lens, because so often I work with organisations who, who are so well-intentioned and wanting to do the right thing and, and looking at this so broadly that as a consequence that they lose sight of what is relevant and material to them as an organisation and from a risk perspective as well. So getting clarity around whether it's the E or the S and the G and, and understanding the interdependencies between each of those is really, really important. And and you mentioned the S word, the societal impact of this. And we explored this in a lot of depth in our first podcast on this topic, where we looked at how we could redefine prosperity through that social lens, through human equality and equity and through unlocking talent, through justice and fairness. And can I just briefly revisit that, Anita? Because I know it's it's not only a topic that we are both passionate about, but I do think whether it is an imperative this is unlocking of human and capital social justice in order to foster a culture of inclusion and equity as being critical to really thinking about ESG. Because if we are to dismiss it, can we ever achieve our longer term goals around sustainability?
0: I mean, frankly, we have to. We have to embrace the inclusion and equity in order for any firm, not just even as it relates to ESG issues, But for any workplace to have any form of long-term durability, there must be inclusion and equity. At this point, I think most good leaders understand the value of not only a diverse workforce in general at all levels, but also of a diverse leadership team so that we get that trickle-down effect of diversity of thought and having people who are looking up, maybe even at the analyst level, at those senior leaders thinking, yes, I can get there too, and it's a more inclusive workforce. Personally, when looking at employers, though, I actively look at companies with diversity and inclusion as one of their core tenants. This doesn't just happen by accident. Diverse workforce, inclusive workforces, And even equity in the workplace is not an accident. So it can't just be in those glossy brochures or websites, but there has to be an active movement within the workforce. There's strong evidence to suggest that diversity of people leads to diversity of thought. It helps us escape that groupthink and move more towards dynamism in the strategies that are employed.
1: It's fascinating, Anita, just hearing you talk about this, because some of this will will feel pretty unfamiliar to a number of organisational leaders, dare I say it, in terms of this is not necessarily something that's been a business priority in the past. And it just makes me reflect on how much change there is and continues to be around the fundamental foundations upon which business and its role in society is changing. Um, The volume of change, the challenges to the way that businesses have been conducted in the past is not going to go away. In fact, it's actually getting faster, dare I say it, and accelerating. So I do think about whether we do need some some anchor or some stability, whether that's through the sustainability lens, whether that's through our ability to think longer term. But how could we use the principles maybe of responsible investing and the ethical ways of doing business to anchor business and reflect and, and manage and ex, you know, make sure they can meet these social demands? Because I think actually it could just become too difficult and overwhelming otherwise. That's that's a question I'm going to leave you to answer. <laughs> Good <luck with> that. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, this just cannot be a topic that's a hot topic, but just for a short period of time. ESG practices and sustainable business in the future must be meaningful and built to endure. So being too difficult should not be the reason to exclude ESG matters from a business strategy. Some things just are difficult, but there are ways to solve those issues. And I don't think that modern workforces will be able to endure the test of time if they don't challenge the ways that they do business. Just because something was done a certain way in the past doesn't mean that it's the best way to meet the new global standards of doing business. So looking at, let's say, a triple bottom line of the people, planet and profit, or even social, environmental and economical, if investors demand to see firms that reflect their customer base, leaders have to be more inclined to demand the changes internally so that they can meet the investors in the long term. Those quick short-term wins that undermine the ethics of the business will likely lead to either public censure from a regulator or even reputational risk that may not be worth that short-term win.
1: But I do wonder uh, about the role of the regulators here, because is there a way, given, so since we last spoke, when we talked about ESG as a positive force for good, we've just reflected in the last few minutes about some of the challenges and the backlash around it and and to me that could be interpreted as a as a sign that the market is maturing and developing and understandably so in the face of more scrutiny and wanting to get more understanding and evidence about not just what companies are saying but what they're actually doing and that's where the, the magic of the regulator comes in and my question to you is do you think the regulator is standing up or needs to stand up to adapt to this evolution to capture the full essence i suppose and the full potential of what esg could really offer if it is used in the right way
0: I think that they're just getting started. So to me, it's great that the regulators have been watching and they're looking at what firms are putting out there. They're not stopping it, they're not blocking it, but they're looking at what are the grey areas within ESG? Most of those seem to be through a lack of clarity. So as an umbrella term, that seems to be where the hysteria comes in and the concern from the public. So being seen as good, greenwashing and green wishing isn't always aligned with actually what being good is in the ESG framework. And so regulators are looking at that. And I think that's only going to increase, but also help shake out some of those bad actors within any given industry, and also come up with a standard that can be maintained. And so The core tenets of ESG are likely to be attractive to most people. However, there needs to be a more compelling discussion to define more closely which area of ESG a particular strategy falls into. And I think that the the regulators are doing that through that demand for increased disclosure and transparency. So there will be a steep learning curve for many firms, especially those global firms that are navigating those differing global standards but they hopefully will come to a place where they adapt to the reporting levels as needed. In many ways, I think that most people expected and anticipated this. And again, with my compliance braid on, I'd also say that this is where leaders can rely on the control functions from compliance through to audit through to operational risk, in which they can encourage the recording and evidencing of all statements relating to ESG, including helping leaders to rein in those lofty ambitions and clearly delineating between those blue sky thinking and also the actual strategies that the firm is looking to employ. At the bare minimum, all statements made by the firm relating to ESG and beyond should be clear, fair and not misleading. Regulators are looking at the specifics. They're looking at the actual words used in communications, along with the spirit of those words that are used. Any ESG related statements need to be supportable with clear evidence.
1: Yes now this is where my forensic brain kicks in Anita so we've got the compliance brain we've had the human brain and now the forensic brain because and I suppose and it's with my ethical lens I'm responding to you here because I, I do a lot of work about ethical blind spots and what I'm observing and increasingly seeing is a not too similar blind spot emerging when it comes to sustainability which is organizations being able to rationalize yet yeah, their ability to do things and and saying it in a way that is probably, as I say, more greenwashing, but more intentional than actually activated itself. So I do wonder whether can we rely on the data that's being shared? You say there's more transparency, they say there's more disclosure, but how is that being backed up? What evidence is there? And should the regulators be playing a more active role to get some evidence to substantiate this? Because I do feel that the risk of, of blind spots emerging or ethical fading about wanting to be seen to be doing it, but then not carrying that through is a genuine risk.
0: Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I left my crystal ball at home today. But (laughs) I'm pretty confident that they will land in a fair place. So the road to getting there, I think, will be more than a little turbulent. It's almost like trying to change the wheels of a car mid-race while the car is moving. It's just going to be tough. And I think naturally a lot of people within the asset management industry will look at ratings agencies. They've been around for many, many years and they've already proven that they have the skills and ability to go into firms and assess huge amounts of data and rank and score based on various methodologies. This becomes more prevalent in the ESG space as we look for ways to monitor and aggregate data and the information that stands behind those ESG statements. And so whilst those ratings agencies have long been considered good independent auditors of various statistics, they too have faced scrutiny when it comes to conflicts of interest. Though not related to ESG today, firms have to keep in mind what these ratings would be used for, what their incentives are behind them, And if a firm is ranked highly, what does that really mean? Who sets the barometer? Who pays for the services? Are the agencies aligned? These conflicts have to be well thought out and considered ahead of using any third party to rate a firm when it comes to ESG. And so... I like to begin with the end in mind when it comes to developing those ESG-related key performance indicators. I think it's important to break down and work to clearly define the data points that go into a particular metric and also ask, when is this not the case? And so that consistency of measurement will go some way to helping to report on data in an honest and transparent way. It also helps relay the importance of that year-over-year consistency and approach to measurement of all of those statements that are made. And fear of getting ESG wrong, or maybe even regulatory sanction or public censure for one of the reasons, to me is not a reason for firms to elect not to embrace ESG. The risk associated with biased reporting may mean some leaders think that the ESG label isn't worth it for them today, Because there are still so many unknown unknowns about the risks of getting ESG wrong. And I do agree that the risk is there. However, to me, the fear of not knowing how to move forward shouldn't be the reason that businesses don't adapt to the modern world. Not knowing shouldn't be the reason for inaction. It shouldn't be the reason simply because expertise can be contracted into the firm. We know that there are people out there who have looked at this, who can come in and help a practice move forward into their next level of ESG and as that evolves. And so a real question for me, and I know it is for you as well, Tracy, would be why wouldn't you want to do as much as possible to mitigate the risk of sustainability blind spots? identifying and managing risks is a job of good leaders finding the expertise if you don't necessarily have those expertise in-house should be exciting for any good strategist and any strategically minded leader just because something is hard doesn't mean it isn't worthwhile
1: that's a great point Anita just just to really reinforce just because something is hard doesn't mean it isn't worthwhile. And and that, for me, I think is at the heart of where we're trying to get to with this. If it were easy, I, I question my, my colleagues and my clients, does it mean you're doing it right? You know, I'm always holding the mirror up and making sure that actually, if we are doing this for the right reasons, then actually... Whatever we call it and some of the challenges along the way, that's exactly what we should be aspiring to have because that means we are doing it for all of the the right reasons. And you've talked about transparency. You've talked about inclusion. You've talked about the ability to interpret this in a way which is materiality-led. So not trying to do everything, but trying to do the things that matter and where you know that you can have the most impact and drive the right value. So, Anita, I've got a final question for you, if I may. Just really any any last comments from you on, on the role of ESG for business? Um, how do you think it can act as a platform, how it can unlock the full potential of responsible and sustainable business? And knowing that is going to be hard, how can people dig in, as it were, and, and make sure that they're able to endure some of these challenges because we know the opportunities that will result will be far worth it?
0: So... I I would say there really it's I do wish often that there was a firm wide test for ethics um, so that ahead of anything newsworthy happening, somebody can get ahead of that. Somebody can understand fully what's happening in an organization. And so there isn't. We know that there isn't. And so now this is the responsibility of leadership. And managing a firm to be viable in the long term, we now know that the world has changed. It takes more than just good financial results. Investors, regulators, shareholders and stakeholders alike, even the employees expect more from leaders, whether or not we title that ESG or something else. And so today, particularly with our 24-hour news cycle and an appetite, that is probably very low when it comes to risk of public censure, unless they have a particularly excitable relations office, I think that firms need to do something to standardise their approach to ESG or even just calling it doing the right things in the long term. This has to be a part of any business strategy.
1: Brilliant, Anita. I'm not going to do a sweepstake on what we think we'll call it in the future, but um, I think doing the right thing may not be far off because integrity is at the very heart of, of what ESG should and can offer business, but more importantly, all of us, you know, whether we sit within the business world or out in wider society. Thank you so much, Anita, for this fascinating discussion. We've ranged across a whole variety of topics. And and as always, your insight and your experience really comes to bear. And and I would value um, and ask anyone who's listening to this conversation to think about how you can take what we've talked about and start to put it into action. Anita talked about being good versus doing good through ESG. And it's actually only by doing good that we can really bring about change. And quite often, I, I talk to my clients about, progression rather than perfection so this is about incremental change knowing what's material to you as a business knowing what lies at the heart of your purpose and and really at the heart of your values but more importantly doing this because it's the right thing to do that will lead to that triple bottom line being fully unlocked so on that basis again can I say thank you Anita so much for joining me today and uh, thank you very much all for listening Thank you for listening to today's Leading the
0: Way episode. For more helpful insights and practical advice, turn to us at stoneturn.com.